everyone, and welcome to another episode of Silver Screen Anomalies. I'm Hallie. I'm Skylar. And boy, we've got an episode for you this week. We sure do. We're, we're riding high on just happy to be together doing this again, bringing you guys quality content that, I don't know, maybe you enjoy, maybe you don't. We, we assume you like it. Well, I mean, we know there's listeners because there's often reactions and... Uh... I get the impression that people like what we're doing, so let's just continue to do it. I I agree. I'm also I just want to shout out now and say I'm disappointed that so far Team Tree seems to be doing better than Team Rex and that really what come on guys. Come on. I fucking told you. No. I refuse to accept your win. Sentient trees I have no I refuse to accept your victory. Okay, look, sentient trees have no limits. T Rex I, I think a chainsaw. T-Rexes have... Yeah, but who knows how far those roots go down? You never know. Like, T-Rexes <laughs> absolutely... Ha- you, get a, you get a military weapon involved there? Like, or shit. Give them anything to do with those stumpy-ass arms, and then they're, it's game over. Like, or they just or, need their arms. Or, even better, just don't move. Okay, I feel like the T-Rex line of sight being based on movement, I feel like that was debunked not long ago. No, I don't know. If it's in Jurassic Park, it's real. (laughs) Okay, all right. I will give Jurassic Park props in a few categories, but I don't think that they are historically accurate. You might be right. However, I I do think that the debate of the the tree and the T-Rex is so far favoring my side of the coin. However, this is a really nice segue into our topic of discussion for this week. Because speaking of props and Jurassic Park, Hallie, why don't you let everyone know what we are going to be discussing this week. Well, this week on episode 31 of Silver Screen Anomalies, we are going to answer the question, what are the best types of visual effects? Mmm, this is something... This is, Skylar, I can see your eyes sparkling. I can see you've got, like, graphs in the background, like... You, you, you've got ah. the eyes of somebody who is well-educated and versed in this. You could say it is my actual line of work. <laughs> you could say that, yes. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very, very excited to be talking about this. This is actually kind of an episode a long time in the making, just because we have danced around and discussed visual effects and mentioned in several other episodes uh, that... Okay, so of course I, I teach visual effects and 3D animation uh, at Maritime Business College. And a huge component of that was also working in the industry myself. I worked in video games and did a little bit of e-learning and did some freelance film stuff and whatever. And then of course now I'm kind of like a teacher and filmmaker myself. So visual effects are kind of my my native like background. Like that's just pretty much my, my little playground. I, uh, I visit there very often. So getting on the topic of visual effects, we thought it would be an interesting discussion point to compare and contrast uh, some good and bad examples across the spectrum of what makes up these beautiful little magic tricks that makes mo- that make film and movies such an enjoyable experience to watch. Because there's a lot of films out there that you wouldn't actually anticipate having a lot of visual effects. And they're completely hidden right in plain sight. Um, we are, for the sake of time, of course, we're not going to discuss like every visual effect known to man. We are going to hit some key points, though. Some really fun 
examples. Uh, and I think the easiest way for us to really barrel into this is to actually break this up into categories. We have three categories. We're going to sort of reveal them as we work through the episode. Uh, the first category is, Hallie? Practical special effects. Now, when we say practical effects, we don't mean just like makeup and costuming. We also mean like animatronics, stop motion animation, any uh, kind of puppeteering, anything that creates an effect, but with a physical, tangible source. Yes, of course. And uh, that actually might be one of the oldest mediums of visual effects that is you know that's existed because it's predating i mean obviously cgi is a very new type of effect but if we're talking specifically about like stop motion and that type of animation that is pushing well over 100 years old at this point because we were using tricks like that all the way back into like the early 1900s we have been i think in the late 1800s we started to gain a fascination with the idea of the moving picture. Uh, the moving picture was something that was obviously what would be coined as what would be equated to film. Uh, film is, of course, in simpler terms, just basically uh, pictures moving in rapid succession with a light bulb behind it. Uh, 24, the moving pictures! Yeah, moving in rapid succession at 24 frames per second, of course. Uh, that is the nature of animation when you're watching standard film you're not watching like real motion or like i guess what would be classified as like real time motion you're watching 24 pictures per second stream in front of your face now obviously there have been some exceptions to this rule because of course like people like peter jackson have been trying to do double that frame rate and things like that um, over his career, namely with the Hobbit films and things like that. But we know that that looks like dog shit, so don't do it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Brutal. Yeah, Jesus. it looks like shit. I have shit. a feeling you're going to rip on a few things during this episode. Of course. Uh, and, arts, and that is why I brought the popcorn. Woohoo. Um, so it's mostly going to be glorifying effects, because really, at the end of the day, we don't want to be ripping on things for too long. We want to make sure that... Uh, uh, we enjoy what we're talking about. And I'm here to discuss just how amazing these little magic tricks are because a big part of the reason why like, I love movies so much is actually uh, if, we, if you can go back in time and see Tiny Skyler with his striped T-shirt in front of a television screen sitting way too close to the screen and damaging his eyes probably permanently uh, and just being wowed at the marvel of cinema and wondering just how they made that uh, that xenomorph and alien. Wait a second, hold on. Why was I watching that at eight years old? Oh fuck! <laughs> I can't travel back in time, but if I could, I'd probably be really rich, and I would love to like see Tiny Skylar ruining his eyes. I feel like I feel like we did a lot of the same things when we were kids. Yeah, watching monster movies. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, marveling at cinema, watching horror movies way too young, watching yeah. X Files at an age when I really should not have been watching X Files. Oh man, talk about special effects! That show was fun. Oh god, I love that show. So anyway, <laughs> uh, back on topic. Um, stop motion animation obviously was the major force in a lot of like big special effects that were leading all the way up to like 
it really had a legacy all the way up into the 70s, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, the 80s is when we really got our big boom of like makeup and costuming and really big, spooky, scary, wet, gross effects, if I have to use such a term. Uh, the first film that I actually want to discuss on that particular list is John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, which I think for many people is kind of the godfather of practical effects movies. And I've seen it. You hear that, Taylor? I've seen it now. <laughs> we all watched it. You guys can stop hassling me about it. Yeah, we were heckling you for a little bit there just because we're... we thought it was... I mean, it really was blasphemous that you hadn't seen it. Okay, uh, all right. Calm down. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're glad that you uh, enjoyed your experience watching that with us. It was a, uh, a fun winter night, and we uh, settled down and hunkered down with Mr. Carpenter and his... Uh, what I would consider to be his best film, in my personal opinion. Um, now, we're strictly just going to be talking about the effects and not the movie itself. If you want my opinion on the thing, email us, message us, or maybe we'll discuss it on another episode. I don't know. We'll see. But I feel like we've got to get Taylor in on that one. I, I think you might be right. Uh, but if you've seen the thing, then you're very, very much aware that uh, the effectiveness of wet puppets in the dark fighting Kurt Russell with a full grown winter beard and a cowboy hat is like 150% effectiveness rate. It's just goopy, gross, disgusting, amazing, horrifying, uh, science fiction horror at its finest. And a lot of it is, uh, I want to say, I feel like it would be dismissive to say minimalist, uh, because I feel like in its very nature, practical effects, the beautiful thing about practical effects is how minimalist a lot of it is. It's, it's the wonderment of trying to figure out just how they actually pulled off those effects, like what little magic tricks and, and I, whether it be like a quick cut of an edit just at the right time to kind of hide something that's maybe hiding behind the frame, or it's just a really well-constructed like maquette or puppet or miniature, there's so many different ways that you can execute a practical effect and make it look awesome in frame. And because it's tangible and real, I think it's safe to assume, Hallie, that like a big part of the reason why people often glorify and re reminisce, I, I want to say, about visual effects in the past is probably because of the tangibility of it. I think you're right, because when I look back at some of the movies that I absolutely adored growing up, two stand out for me more well, three. Three stand out for me more than any others. And they would be uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Labyrinth, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. Those are three movies that I remember and will watch to excess to this day. And all of them were practical effects based, largely. Yes. Like... Um, Nightmare Before Christmas, stop motion animation, the amount of sculpting and crafting that went into creating that magical Christmas Halloween crossover, uh, like, it's insane. Then, you know, Labyrinth, Jim Henson Studios, like, it never bothered me, because I can watch that movie now and will watch it now, and it never bothers me when I see the strings or I see the the uh, sticks of the marionettes and the puppets and stuff it doesn't bug me because they're real and to see that level of craftsmanship that goes into those effects i don't care if i can see the strings that's impressive mm -hmm. like that's insane and even with ninja turtles like those again that's an example of jim henson um creature workshop uh, doing what it does best 
those costumes were a combination of, you know, um, costume and animatronics because the of the facial expressions that the turtles had to portray. Yep. Now, being an actor, having to wear that kind of rig apparently was very unpleasant because you've got all the animatronics to make facial expressions going on in, in the headpiece. And that's where your head is closest. Yeah. So I guess hearing was something of an issue inside the costume. Of course. But I imagine it would be. so, and of course, you know, the, the creatures themselves, the, the turtles themselves were huge. Like they're full-sized figures and costumes. So because they were so cumbersome to work with, um, you mentioned in animate, like when you were talking about animation before, um, they actually had to kind of slow the frame rates to record the turtles moving yep. and then speed it up afterwards because they were just so cumbersome to use. Well, yeah, I believe that 100%. And I mean, it's interesting thinking about the limitations of practical effects and costuming in 1990, especially considering what they had to work with, like dating back to like the Harryhausen effects where like a lot of that was stop motion. Like I'm talking about your like your big clash of the Titans style, like big Greek mythology movies where they had a lot of stop motion creatures and there was a lot of costumes and things, or even think about like the Toho Godzilla films, like, a lot of the the big kaiju films obviously were all just people in suits and i can't even imagine how heavy a lot of that shit must have been i mean really when you think about it even in recent times like x-men apocalypse with um oscar isaac playing apocalypse he complained frequently about just how uncomfortable and hot and awful it was wearing all of that caked on makeup and he's a brilliant actor and you can see just how much labor is put into just like executing a performance with all that shit hanging off of you and i mean then there's like you know of course in the del toro movies (laughs) our uh our, our little mutual friend there um <laughs> doug, jones. Who, doug jones just does it effortlessly and is just with an elegance that's just he almost can live and breathe in those suits just perfectly i uh, he's he is an amazing individual i love doug jones but not everyone can be a like a, a contortionist dancer beautiful just swan like person that can fit into these things human being yeah like obviously with uh, the average actor it's labor intensive and hours and hours of makeup and i mean that's not to obviously the diminish the uh tremendous amount of work but i think that that does bring up an interesting point to discuss about practical effects and why there's a huge discussion that's associated with both practical and digital effects and why there's often a a warring contrast between cgi and practical and how a lot of people are are very immediate in saying like oh like they just don't make movies the way that they used to they use cgi way too much and blah 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 blah. and i'm not here to dismiss that what i am here to suggest is why studios do that because the fact of the matter is is that practical effects are incredibly labor intensive and they take a tremendous amount of time to pull off if they are even pulled off perfectly because in a lot of cases there's a lot of effects that backfire break fall apart i mean look at jaws like that (laughs) that fucking shark broke on set so many times and i mean you could argue that like that played into the success of jaws because they had to obviously reduce the amount of time or visibility of seeing that shark uh on screen which would inevitably lead to just how effective that movie is because you don't see the shark as much which plays into the suspense but 
Steven Spielberg probably pulled out a lot of his hair making that movie uh, because an animatronic wasn't working. And that's not the only animatronic that Spielberg had issues with. That's correct. <laughs> but we'll get into that later. We sure will. Um, All so, I can say is I can I can see where Five Nights at Freddy's gets its uh, its ammunition from. That's for sure. Fuck. Uh, yep. Animatronics um, just don't oh don't have them go wrong. Don't have them do that. Uh, so to double back into Mr. Carpenter's film, The Thing. Uh, this is one of the most tremendous works of practical effects that I can think of, honestly, just because there's so many different kinds of effects and they're all executed just so fucking awesomely. Like when I think of the thing, I don't just think about one specific effect with most movies, actually, and especially in like that heyday of like the eighties and nineties and stuff of the big special effects. Um, you often think about one or two effects that exist in that one particular feature film that really triggered an emotion with you or really stuck with you. With The Thing, I don't have that. I think about like at least half a dozen to, if not even more, because there's like the defibrillator scene. There's the scene where the dogs get all emaciated and turned into a big pile of goop. There's when uh, one of the uh, assimilated gets burned alive and screams out into the snow. There's like, like, I could just keep going on and on and on. And they're all done so well. I mean, shit, like the little vials of blood when they're doing the testing. Like, there's so many really great magic tricks in this movie. And it wasn't, it certainly wasn't at the cost of the people involved. Uh, most of the effects were actually pulled off by a 21 year old uh, botan who actually at one point was hospitalized due to exhaustion uh, and double pneumonia and a, ble- and a bleeding ulcer from the Jesus. just the sheer extensive workload that was involved in making this movie because you practical effects like these things a computer isn't doing this for you like and you're not pushing and pulling a mouse around like this is like hard laborious work that you're doing like all hours of the day into the night you're not sleeping and especially to pull this stuff off in a reasonable amount of time with a film budget like that's a tremendous feat really and like a lot of the effects in this movie were basically fucking creamed corn, mayonnaise, microwave bubble gum, and KY jelly mixed with like really, really good makeup. But like to make that look exactly like it needs to look, to make it, because with the thing, for those of you who haven't seen it, basically the crux of this film is very much centered around this entity that assimilates, pe- it's, it's lived on several different planets. So it has the biochemistry of so many different organisms and they did such a good job pulling off this creature that has no discernible anatomy it basically looks like a big gelatinous thing of mouths and stomachs all just gross it's very disgusting and but also in its own way uh kind of amazing so uh, if you really want to get a good taste of the practical side of things this is probably the biggest example that i would like to discuss but uh we're going to move on from this one um do you have something you'd like to add i will just jump in with you know it does take a tremendous amount of skill and effort to craft the costumes and makeup and masks all of it like whether it's a puppet or a costume it took um i mean it took jim henson creature workshop 18 weeks to complete the, tin, the Ninja Turtles. 
And they were some of the most complex ones at that point that Jim Henson had ever worked with. Because while, and I don't know, maybe uh, I am a little off base because this isn't my usual wheelhouse. I, I deal with the narrative side of, of storytelling, not the practical like creature design and, and costuming and stuff. But, you know, it, it seems to me like back in the day, practical effects were, and I'm, when I say back in the day, I mean like 70s, 80s, 90s, like even as far back as the 50s, practical effects were king because we didn't have the technology in, that we do today mm-hmm. where we can recreate entire city on a computer or a creature on a computer with motion capture or you know we didn't have the technological advancements so you had to be king of your craft when it came to practical effects it's true you you really did uh sculptors painters makeup artists they were your bread and butter when it came to pulling off especially like big fiction like high fiction films like fantasy and stuff like any the a lot of the films that were large money grocers uh they had gainful employment um and to kind of like speak back to like mr henson like i mean look in the 80s like if you want no clearer depiction of the dark fantasy genre like everything from like you mentioned labyrinth earlier which had probably one of the most complex animatronics ever put to film which was actually hoggle the uh i love the hoggle yeah like so the amount of like tiny little details in that face there's it's such a detailed sculpture that i liked ludo oh i love ludo i mean ludo's inarguably amazing and there's just it's like a big dude in a suit but like hoggle has tiny little micro movements in his face to make every little wrinkle move and things like that and that's just amazing like that's so so cool um it's intense and i mean uh, you i i got that impression just from watching the thing with you guys like that was a squelchy fucking monster and i did not like it which i think works beautifully because that's the intent right oh sure not supposed to get cuddly with this thing this thing is it's horrifying horrifying and gross and so you know i'm sitting there going looking away from the screen and i think that that more than anything is the biggest compliment I can give anybody in the special effects department. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... cringe and look away, you're done good. If your aiming goal is to make us feel disgusted, then you you. Oh, yeah, I guess if you're, if you're trying to do something nice, you don't want that reaction. Well, but, yeah, you, know. <laughs> you don't want that reaction from, like, a hoggle or something. Like, he's meant to be friendly. Um, that well, being... that, I mean, he, he looks kind of fucked up, but, like, regardless, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, one last really big effect that I think just based on our, our time frame and stuff, and trust me, like I have a feeling we're going to do another episode or something that deals with visual effects, but just to kind of like keep the train moving forward, American Werewolf in London. Uh, holy fuck. Like the greatest werewolf transformation ever put to film. And the reason why I want to bring this particular effect up is because it actually highlights a very specific special effect that doesn't get talked about nearly as much as it should. Uh, and no, that is not uh, makeup. That is not extensive animatronics. That is actually editing itself. Um, you can do amazing things with edits. 
not just in practical effects. You can do it with CGI and any type of effect that you're trying to pull off. There's an amazing amount of things you can do with just a simple understanding of how editing works and where to put that cut. And I think the werewolf transformation is one of the finest examples of that because if you've seen this scene, it's one of the most painful, laborious, and time-consuming transformations into a monster ever put to film. And a lot of what makes it effective is how excruciating it looks. And also at the same time, careful edits that are just placed in, and interspliced into the sequence to make each individual transformation and movement and addition to this practical effect seamlessly add and, and stack on top of itself. Basically, the practical effect is actually several practical effects that are all amalgamating into one just through a series of edits and just hiding things that are going on like underneath the floorboards and behind the scenes to make this man turn into a wolf and it's just so well done like it's it's a it's a beautiful feat and accomplishment and that, that i think still holds up and still looks awesome today it's been a long time since i've seen american werewolf in london it's a good one it's a, it's a great one just as we close out the practical effects side of things here i just wanted to add we we needed to to make a bit of an amendum on a, our previous episode there uh we did mention that in Poltergeist, they used what we thought at the time were real corpses, which was technically incorrect. What they used was uh, real human skeletons, which has actually been done in uh, movies for fucking decades, if not longer. So they used real skeletons and then did uh, special effects makeup over top of the skeletons. Yes. And uh, weirdly enough, I had a discussion after our episode with uh, host of our sister podcast, uh, Hunter, uh, Andrew Hunter Scully uh, from North of Normal. And he had mentioned to me while we were talking, he's like, I always thought it was just the skeletons. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, it was, like, in fact, just, and that kind of lends into what I mentioned about um, earlier about using practical effects as far back as the 50s. Um, yeah. further you know you can just there are apparently places where you can buy human skeletons because buying a skeleton is a lot cheaper than sculpting one which i totally buy i 100 percent not with that, that i i'm not i'm not saying i would go and buy a skeleton obviously probably i would Let's talk after the podcast. Okay, cool. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, practical effects. Um, I think that they're very memorable, and I think part of the, the, the appeal of them is that they are tangible. Yes. You know? Well, you could physically see it, interact with it. It is actually in frame. Uh, it's lit the same way as all of the actors that are interacting with it. It also allows for more genuine performances because there's a physical presence there. Though it does have its its downsides as well, which are like, you gotta, you know, make sure that your animatronics don't get wet, apparently, which is a bit of a problem, I imagine, when you're doing a shark movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but also dinosaurs, but we'll get into that later. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, that and just labor-intensive amounts of work that, Absolutely. Uh, that culminate and stack on top of each other, and it takes teams and teams of really, really talented people to pull this off. Amazingly so, talented people. That brings us to CGI, um, computer graphics specifically. Now, 
this is very much the most modern and adaptable form of visual effect uh and something that practical effects simply can't do you can't do everything with practical effects it's just impossible like there are certain things that you can't pull off effectively with a practical effect it's just it has its limitations while you could argue that cgi does not you can actually do just about anything with cgi now like to the point of resurrecting dead actors um it's something that's uh, be whether they they can and, and should or is a totally separate that's discussion right back to jurassic park isn't it just yeah. right we keep coming back to that park just, yeah just because you can no one asked if they should like come on (laughs) it's 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 very true um so there are a lot of good and bad examples that we can discuss when it comes to cgi and i think cgi really among many other forms of visual effects uh does get a bad rep because it had some pretty serious growing pains and we will get into those um but we're also going to highlight some really great successes because there's some amazing effects out there too now CGI got its start very, very... It has a very uh, short life. Um, Really, if you want to go as far back as feasibly possible with CGI and computer graphics, we were developing the very first computer graphics on computers to compete with with other countries, namely Russia, with chess. <laughs> um, like, really? Yes. We were, we were using so very, very, very old, the old... Some of the oldest forms of computers actually were used to uh, try to get humans to beat computers, uh, which is ironic because we just talked about the thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Kurt Russell infamously losing to a computer and calling her a cheating bitch and pouring alcohol on top of her but that's regardless um we were competing with other countries to try and develop a computer that can beat a human being at chess um that was something that was going for on for a long time uh that led into some of the first video games of course and then with visual effects really one of the oldest visual effects is actually coming straight out of the early early conceiving stages of pixar um, with the stained glass night from the young Sherlock film in the 80s. Oh, man, I loved that movie when yeah. I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the oldest CGI characters to ever be integrated into a sequence. A lot of people are probably thinking, well, wait, wait a second, hold on, what about fucking Star Wars? Well, Star Wars actually did not have as much like CGI as you would like to think. In fact, the only computer graphics shot in Star Wars... Can you actually think of what it is in A New Hope, Hallie? Well, let me think back to the last time I watched A New Hope. Is it, is it The Two Sons? Nope. Um, okay, is, well, I'm, I'm beyond me. Then I go believe ahead. that's some rear screen projection shit that's just like overlaying on top of yeah, one another. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, actually, the CGI computer graphics effect that is in the 1977 Star Wars A New Hope is actually the wireframe scan of the Death Star when they're going over the blueprints of how to destroy it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah when they're all like, here's its obvious weak point it's this weird hole and then like you know i love retro science trying to do future science yeah and weirdly (laughs) enough that technology that wireframe technology that was one of the very first like wireframe scans that was put into cinema um they then replicated the same sort of effect in alien just a year later 
when the Nostromo is landing on LV-426, uh, working some alien back in there. Lols. Yeah. Um, can't, can't not talk about the xenomorphs. Nope. That's right. I, 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 it's me. Um, but regardless, uh, so CGI obviously has had like a number of different iterations. Like in the seventies, like Westworld and stuff, obviously played around with the idea of like computer graphics and things like that. There are some older examples of that, but most of it was accompanied by practical elements. The first like wholesale CGI effect was actually that stained glass night, which was a full character that was rendered in scene with other actors. Uh, following that, um, we have the abyss. Mr. Cameron is going to come up. Mr. James Cameron is going to come up several times in this discussion on computer graphics because he was attempting to perfect uh, liquid in water with the abyss by creating entities that are almost comprised of or made of water, these alien-like entities that live under the ocean. And then that very same effect he would try to perfect again just a few years later with the sequel to his hit film, The Terminator, with Terminator 2. Uh, because obviously the T-1000 was a liquid metal character, um, which is another example of a full CGI character in frame that other people are interacting with. Um, which was actually, in my opinion, it still fucking holds up and it looks absolutely great. Uh, there's a nice little combination of practical elements mixed in there to kind of make Robert Patrick, uh, the T-1000, look like he's being shot up. He's, they get those weird like styrofoam or like tin cups all p- appearing all over his body and shit. And they look kind of hokey and funny. It's this is it, it's what's interesting is, is that this movie came out in 1991 and the, I find the practical effects in this movie look outdated and the CGI looks fucking awesome. Yeah, and it's funny that we talk about James Cameron working with fucking Terminator 2 doing CGI with that, only to, like, speed forward to 2009 when he releases Avatar, which is 60%, like, photorealistic CGI. Oh, yeah, and I mean, we got a... And he, like, started working on the script, I think, the first drafts in the mid-90s. I think it's fair to say that James Cameron is one of the... Uh, more imaginative filmmakers out there. Not the most imaginative, but definitely one of them because he's, I mean, he started mid-90s, I think, working on Avatar. And then it wasn't until 2005, 2006, somewhere in there, when technology started to catch up that he could actually realize doing something as grand as Avatar or AKA Space Pocahontas. Yeah, I mean, like, we won't get into, like, our specific opinions necessarily on Avatar, uh, other than the fact that I, I don't like that movie. But um, no. Beautiful, though. I saw an yeah. IMAX when it came out, and it was worth it to see an IMAX 3D. Because yeah. it was fucking pretty. I don't, I, like, I don't care who you are. Um, there is a stunning amount of work in that movie. Like it is, there is. it is absolutely staggering. It, it's, there is a staggering amount of work in that movie to the point of like, I can't even tell the line between like CGI and live action is completely blurred for me to the point of like, I have no idea what's real and fake in that movie. It's so well done. There's like a scene where I think the corridor crew guys talked about this scene and it also blew me away too, where, um, the main character, Blue Man Group number one, whatever the fuck his name is, is like <laughs> tri- he's like tripping and falling in into a river, and mm-hmm. the water is all like 
completely CGI and it looks fucking amazing. Water is like one of the most impressive effects. Whenever I see water pulled off really well, it always blows my mind just because it's so difficult. Like getting behavioral particle effects to do what you want it to do and and render it because it's so taxing to render, right? Uh, so what I mean oh, by yeah. uh, what I mean by rendering, of course, is like computer graphics. The difference between CGI and practical effects is with a practical effect, you are physically making that. It's a model that you're making. You're sculpting it. You're designing it. It's meant to be. You're trying to use physical practical objects to make something look like something else, and have a sense of realism about it. Um, with computer graphics, you are doing a series of techniques. 3D modeling, texturing. It's basically painting and drawing on a computer for the most part, using geometric shapes to construct and build other shapes so that you can build entire worlds. Those worlds then need to be lit using uh, basically the computer's algorithm of trying to figure out what real world lighting looks like. And then you need to do a process that's called rendering, which is basically calculating every tiny little detail that you have added to that scene and those models and those objects and rendering them as realistic as possible using basically the laws of like photography for the most part. Uh, that's the clearest and most concise way that I could describe it without getting, it would literally take me like, well, I mean, I teach this shit for two years, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and here's a, here's a fun fact to make your eyes cross Skylar. Some of the CGI scenes in Avatar took almost two days to render. I'm not surprised by this, even in the slightest. Um, uh, like when we were, because we did some rendering on our scenes for uh, Guardian, yep. if I'm not mistaken. And that took like, what, half hour to 45 minutes, something less, like that. Less than that. Yeah. Yeah. To take almost two days, like 48 hours to render a scene. Yep. Uh, well, and I mean, people, and people wonder why it takes so long for some movies to come out, man. Well, I mean, to put it into perspective, the shots that we were rendering on Guardian were like we had a visual, we had we had a monster in our sequence that was a visual effect, and that monster only had about three to four seconds of animation, and that took about twenty to thirty minutes to to render or animate, um, or yeah, sorry, to render. Um, when I was in college and I was rendering out animations for like my reel and stuff, like I remember distinctly uh, in Halifax here, like I would go to school and after hours, I would push the render button, walk away and go to the Pogue Fado next door and drink and come back to school and like, you know, several hours later and hope to God that it rendered properly. <laughs> like, that's just the process. It's a very like arduous process. Mm -hmm. Now, rendering has gotten a lot better. We have amazing technology now that makes the process a lot faster and you can do brilliant, amazing things. But obviously I think the topic of discussion here, especially when we're talking about Cameron uh, is CGI and filmmaking had to kind of catch up to one another. And mm -hmm. when it came to avatar, it was very fortunate that Cameron was patient and waited to make that movie when he did, because otherwise it wouldn't have looked as good as it did. Because if he no. made the, if he made that in the nineties, it wouldn't have looked good. Or even in the early two thousands, because the, a lot of the bad CGI that people think about, that glut of just awful, really shitty CGI came from mainly from the, the years like 2000 all the way up to like, well, 2009 with Avatar because it was the Growing Pains era. Like we had a lot of movies like 
Clash of the Titans. We had like just about every like high fantasy movie, like the Harry Potter movies were really big. And we're going to have a little, like a tiny discussion about Harry Potter just because I, I don't want to totally shut on it just because there's amazing effects in Harry Potter and there's really bad effects in Harry Potter. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So like in the first couple of Harry Potter movies, most of the, I, I find a lot of the effects in those movies are fucking awful. Like, um, like <laughs> they are not exactly, um, they're clunky. Yes. They seem clunky to me. And again, like every time I say that an effect is awful, this is not to discredit all of the hard work that all of these wonderfully no. talented people put into this because I know how fucking hard this shit is. And let me tell you, like, I guarantee you it wasn't the artist's fault. In most cases, when you see a bad effect in a TV show or a film, it's because they just simply didn't have enough time to finish it. Like the deadlines on these movies are ridiculous and it's all a money equation. Like whatever you got for your budget, that's how much time you have. So they only have so much time to get the shit done. So sometimes it doesn't always turn out right. Um, that's why we have made technology faster so we can get to things done on time with the budget. Now, like with the first couple of Harry Potter movies, especially where that franchise wasn't really, it didn't have its legs yet. Like it wasn't like this big phenomena at that point. Obviously there were some growing pains, mainly in the first Harry Potter movie. Cause I'm thinking specifically about our little troll friend or whatever that enters the bathroom and look, looks like shit. Uh, the sorting hat, it looks like crap. And then like they put it on his head and then like, the shadow that's under his head doesn't really line up. It's, it it <laughs> looks so like shadows are like a huge thing for me. Like if, if there's no contact shadow on objects and things, I, it stands out to me so bad. There's a very recent movie that came out where I saw some really shitty effects and I'm not even prepared to talk about it uh, because it'll take the entire episode. But um, you could say it came out this past weekend, March 22nd of Gosh, I wonder what movie that could be. <laughs> you could say it also came out in 2017. Um, hmm. Hmm. The plot thickens. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. So like with CGI, you got to realize that these things just it had the effectiveness of this thing was so high caliber people were so amazed at what you can do with computers that the demand for it was so high that it didn't have time to catch up like it was just a series of just like several decades of like or a couple decades of like growing pains where it mm -hmm. started from being used in like i mean in like jurassic park i think they were just like we have 30 some special effects shots or whatever i can't remember the exact number but it was a very low number um <laughs> and you look at that and you compare it to like one of the Avengers movies or whatever, the Marvel movies. And it's just like, you get to the visual effects section of the credits and it's just a wall of text that goes on for yeah, like really. 25 minutes or whatever. And it's like, amazing. There, there's thousands of people and thousands of shots. Um, yeah. Just making these amazing effects. Is there any specific CGI effects that really stand out to you that you would like to talk about Hallie? I don't know. I think what we're building towards here is um, we, we kind of seen, we've taken a look at the practical side of, uh, of effects, visual effects, and we looked at the CGI, but we mentioned it a couple of times now. And like, I, I kind of brought it up with Avatar where 40% of the movie is live action. And then, you know, the other 60 is CGI. And I think you mentioned earlier, like, there was there's an emerging there's emerging of the two effects in there yes that's because they used 
not only like CGI to build the avatars and stuff in that movie, but they actually like used plaster casts and 3D scans of the actors too. So it's kind of, it, it leads into the next category, which we've kind of been working towards, which is a complete like marriage of both practical and CGI effects in cinema. Yeah. Um, and I honestly think that's probably the purest form or the most relevant form because there's the stigma I think that gets associated with CGI where people like complain about it and stuff and it looks really fake and blah, 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 blah. When really it's, it's when it's being overused really not because yeah. it shouldn't be used because there's movies that we wouldn't have that are amazing films that would not exist if it weren't for computer graphics. It's a, it's a tool. And like anything else, you don't use the same tool to do multiple jobs all the time you need exactly. like a, you need a, a nice like combination of things and the reason why we wanted to talk about at length the different types of effects is because the merger of them is really the sweet spot mm -hmm. and we're gonna list off some examples i think primary for both of us jurassic park and we mentioned earlier the woes that can be associated with animatronics because the dinosaurs largely in, in Jurassic Park were animatronics. They were, they were sculpted, they were crafted to be dinosaurs on set. And one of the most notable animatronics is, of course, the T-Rex, mm -hmm. uh, which we've actually brought up in previous episodes before because of how they made that T-Rex work so effectively. But... They, I can definitely see where Five Nights at Freddy's gets its fucking scares from because uh, apparently the, the animatronic T-Rex for Jurassic Park terrified the crew a few times because those wonderful uh, motors and things that you shouldn't get wet yep. got wet. So because they were wet, apparently the T-Rex would randomly turn on. Oh, points. God. <laughs> It is a, it is a by five night itself. And this is a 12, more than 12,000 pound animatronic. Like oh this is God. a big fucking T-Rex. So I'm just saying Team Rex. Do you see how that I slipped that in there? Oh, that Fuck was, you and your tree. That was Team Rex. That was fucking dirty. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Um, with Jurassic Park, the T-Rex is the probably the purest and original example of marrying the two together. And it's interesting because we, the, the T-Rex is one of the earliest forms of CGI. That movie actually had the very first 3d textured organisms in a movie, like the dinosaurs themselves, namely mm -hmm. like the, I believe, is it a Brontosaurus or a Brach Brachiosaurus that's in the very first opening shot they do. I want to say it's Brontosaurus, but I, I am not a paleontologist. So I don't know. They fucking you. redact dinosaurs like they do. They strip away the planetary status of goddamn planets We're, at this point. So, like, I, I don't know. R.I.P. Pluto. Rip. <laughs> but, but like, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is the they do move in herds scene. Uh, it was the reveal of the very first, like, 3D textured creature characters that were like put into film scene still makes me smile like i'm grinning madly just thinking about it because like, it is it's, it's a so beautiful great. scene it's too and you know like today watching jurassic park especially if you have a 4k television 
watching it, it's just like, oh yeah, that's so CGI. But you know what? If you were a kid when Jurassic Park came out, that shit was just top shelf. <laughs> oh yeah. No, this movie was one of the movies that I often credit as being, I guess, one of the biggest inspirations for me to get into the industry that I got into because Oh snap. Yeah, it is. Like I talk about it every uh, every uh, new batch of students that I have come in, it I credit it almost 100% just because I was obsessed with dinosaurs and seeing them come to life. Like this was where I was like, okay, I know this is a movie. And I was very like practical as a kid. I knew that movies were like, they for all intents and purposes weren't real. And there was magic tricks going on, little tiny magic tricks. And this movie was one of the earliest forms where I, I genuinely was interested. I needed to know how they did it. And Alien was probably like the next down the list where I was just blown away at the, the xenomorph and the creature design. I will say those xenomorphs to this day haunt me. I will never, for example, ever play Alien Isolation. I, I, I'm no, yeah, no, no, that's no, no. I have nightmares <laughs> still about xenomorphs, not often. And I love watching Alien and Aliens. I, I absolutely adore it. But... They do terrify me, and I no. That game made the aliens scary again. Um, yeah, no. But with Jurassic Park, the sequence in the rain is the scene that I often like to reference, just because it is the perfect marrying of the two. Because all of your wide shots of the of the T Rex are all CGI, and all the close ups are the animatronic head. Now. The fun thing about this is, and this dates all the way back to 1982 with Blade Runner, if something looks like shit in computer graphics, just make it dark, rainy, and stormy, and cover it up. Uh, the nighttime, obviously, it keeps a nice consistent contrast and color toning in your, in your film, and it was easy for the artists to make that T-Rex look as good as it is because the light values are there's so much contrast so you can actually hide all the imperfections in the cgi in those wide shots and there's enough rain and murkiness and cloudiness in the frame that it kind of hides all the imperfections just beautifully and which is why like a lot of people are like why does this movie still hold up so well and that's because they were just smart smart filmmaking that's really what it's all about it's not lazy filmmaking it's smart filmmaking now when we talk about a lot of bad visual effects a lot of that is equated to laziness. Some of it is just a belligerent use of the tool. Now, the Star Wars prequels, obviously, is the worst example, just because just about everything on those sets was all completely, like, green screened. The actors were constantly working on... They often made the joke, the tennis ball thing. Like, you had a green tennis ball that you were basically playing off of. But that is not too far off. Like, they had nothing to work with. And you wonder why a lot of the performances in those movies are so friggin' wooden, right? Um, compare that to another trilogy that came out around the same time, Lord of the Rings, which is a fucking masterpiece oh, so because good. Lord of the Rings is CGI. It's miniatures. It's makeup. It's everything. Like It, it is. It is a complete like trifecta. It, it's got everything in it uh, from practical to CGI. Like, I love Lord of the Rings. I will still watch Lord of the Rings and I will still every goddamn time be disappointed that Rivendell doesn't exist. I, 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 I'm just, I'm just sad. 
I'm well, sad that I can't go and see the elves. It's well, that's just it, right? Like, because those are believable locations that feel so real. Like, Minas Tirith feels real. It's a fucking miniature, like, or a bigature, I guess, in this particular case. <laughs> but bigature. <laughs> it just nice. sounds weird. F- finger guns. Um, but like, <laughs> Lord of the Rings is uh, also responsible for being part of a movement in the early 2000s that was perfecting certain distinct forms of computer graphics that are probably one of the most widely used today uh, especially in like the marvel movies and stuff Uh, and that is like performance capture Uh, mr andy circus uh with Gollum, obviously that's the first performance capture cgi character and it fucking Gollum looks awesome like still looks so so good it's so impressive yeah was it i read something somewhere when i was doing research for this episode it was actually Gollum's performance in and the cgi associated with him i think and i could be wrong i'm going on record saying i could be wrong that that was what told james cameron that it was time to make avatar was that he saw Gollum's <laughs> uh cgi and performance and realized that the technology had finally caught up to his vision. That is fact. Yes, that is true. Bing, bing. Well, that was when, well, think about it. That's the big green light right there. Because what did the bulk of the big effects in Avatar really require? And that was perfect human performance capture. Because up until that point, all character models were all hand keyed. They were, so just to give you an idea what that's like. You, with a character model in 3D or uh Uh, computer graphics you have what's called a character rig that rig is essentially like a skeleton or an armature if you were to speak in practical effects language that armature can be moved around with a control rig so an animator would go in and physically move all of these joints and controls to basically simulate a performance in this 3d character um the difference between that and performance capture is you have motion capture suits, people who are actually actors coming in to perform out the necessary tiny little micro movements that you would get into like a human performance. And it's captured onto a computer that is then transferred over. And then the animators clean it up and add keyframes in, in certain places to kind of add to it. But for the most part, like it does a lot of work for them where they can get the most authentic performance and the most authentic animation as a result um so that's that was kind of the clear calling sign for like movies like uh, obviously avatar and then of course andy circus came back again later which with what i would consider to be one of the best modern trilogies of our time that no one talks about anymore is the planet of the apes movies those more recent ones like i think caesar is like one of our great characters fucking brilliant stuff i will take your word for it I have not seen Planet of the Apes since the first Planet of the Apes. I don't think this is a widely known fact, but I do not like monkeys. <laughs> I am not a fan of monkeys. I didn't are, know this. Yeah, they are kind of terrifying to me. I do not like them. I do not really. I watched the first one and I do know that it was impressive. Um, I I don't like monkeys, though. What King Kong fuck? aside, I can accept King Kong and Donkey Kong. But uh, I have a problem with monkeys. Well, Donkey Kong's a cartoon, and King Kong barely looks like a real monkey. He's a so kaiju. It's fine. He's a, he's a kaiju. It's fine. Yeah, and that's why I like him. I, I, can, I can get behind those two, but uh, I, I, no, 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 no. I did not know this. And True I to- story. Wow. Not and a I fan. Totally won't exploit this. Um, 
<laughs> monkeys and uh, monkeys and bunnies. I'm not a fan of bunnies. What either. the fuck? Okay, I'm so I'm not afraid of bunnies. I just don't like them. I so, don't think anything that cute and fluffy should growl like they do. <laughs> so no, they do. You, you you laugh, but they do. It's terrifying. No. So Hallie. Yes. Okay, I have two questions. Go on. Well, actually, just one question, really. Um, uh-huh. So if you had to choose between being put into a room with uh, a monkey or uh, a bunny, which one would you pick? Bunny. Okay, that's I don't fair. trust anything that flings poop. That's very fair. And also, as somebody who often reveals his fears far too often to large crowds of people, I highly recommend... Uh, Maybe not doing that on a podcast episode, but I really hope you leave this entire section. <laughs> I'm the editor, and if I'm smart enough, I'll remember to cut it out. Please don't. It's really funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, please leave this section in. Uh, okay, we're, we're kind of winding down here. We're wrapping things up. Um, the topic and discussion really was building and leading, leaning heavily towards, I guess we're kind of in a golden age of effects right now where the best kinds of effects are starting to come out because more and more movies I'm noticing are getting back to the, the, the day of the magic trick. It's less about just pushing fucking render and then getting rid of and extracting everything with a green screen and just hit and go. It's, it's, it's a, that's obviously very reductive and that's not exactly how that process went. It was a lot of work even still, but we can capture more realism by using real sets in combination with visual effects. Like some of the best visual effects movies have a beautiful combination of both where they actually have an integration of the two. If you use CGI like a tool, it can be just absolutely imperative to making a really, really great sequence. Um, Look at all, all of the Marvel movies pulled it off wonderfully. Like Thanos, I think is one of the most impressive characters I've ever seen in in a movie. Like you get, tiny little like his friggin' eyes like they getting like little micro details in the human face is probably the most difficult thing you can pull off because we see people every single day so whenever you see a human being who's been fully recreated as a cgi character this is why you get that term that floats around the uncanny valley that comes from a place of like this looks wrong something looks off and it's because like someone could have done a really good job in capturing that animation, but there's tiny little things missing that are just genuine human moments. Like things, something as small as like when I squint, like I get little crow's feet that has nothing to do with my age. Um, it's around it's cause I'm ancient uh, around like the edges of my, uh, my eyes, right? Like people just have that. Like when they squint their, their cheeks do something different than when they're furrowing their brow or when they're sad, like skin moves it's a it has this like elasticity to it right so like to fully replicate that in computer graphics we're finally at a a point in time where we can do that it's amazing it's it's very very cool and it should be celebrated and that's what this episode is for so in answer to the at the end of this episode the question was what are the best types of visual effects and i think that the best type of visual effect from our perspective, is when you marry practical and CGI in a way that complements each other and makes up for the shortcomings in both areas. Beautifully said. Use your tools effectively and smartly. Don't use an over-encumbrance of either or the other one. We're now in an age where we can make movies on a cell phone 
and visual effects are things that you can learn. There's tons of resources out there, whether you're taking a practical or a computer graphics approach or touch. Um, learn your tools and know when to use them to pull off your magic tricks effectively. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I think that, that sums it up nicely, Skylar. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so basically, uh, to wrap this up, if anybody has any special effects movies that you would like us to talk about, because Lord knows we left out like a shitload, like, oh my God, we didn't talk about The Matrix or Titanic or, uh, oh my God, like several of the other Harry Potter movies. We didn't talk about The Evil Dead. There's there's obviously like a huge list here. So if there's any one movie that you would like us to maybe do like a little feature on or talk about a specific kind of effect, or if you just want to like shoot the shit and talk about effects with us, uh, you know where to reach us. You can reach us on our Facebook page at Eldritch Creative or on Instagram at eldritch.creative. You could send us an email at eldritchcreative at gmail.com. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Can it's we... there, but uh... I'm not going to say it because it's there, but it's kind of just floating hallie why the fuck haven't we just deleted twitter because i don't know for some reason people use twitter so i guess we should use twitter i'm just gonna sign it over to i'm, I'm gonna get it we're gonna get a, a, a social media coordinator yeah well people in. also use tiktok and also vomit in, in the streets <gasps> do you want to do you want to use tiktok no i are don't are we going to tiktok I really no don't. no yeah no if we do Maybe. i'm if we do i want nothing to do with it <laughs> Uh, you don't have a choice. Anyway, it was great getting another episode out. Uh, as always, uh, we're still in pandemic times. Yay. <laughs> but uh, we are making it through as best we can. Everybody stay safe. Wear your masks. Sanitize your hands. Stay away from people. And we'll see you next time. See you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.